Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift that we have in the body of Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit being here with us, in us, among us. We pray for hearts that are receptive this morning to what you would teach us. We thank you for the place that you brought us in our study of Acts. All things work according to your providence, and here we are. So we pray that we would be swept up in what you have for us this morning, that we would be encouraged, challenged, moved more toward the image of Jesus that we know is your plan and purpose for us. Help us to have um, wise and understanding discussion this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, is the, I think the cake is almost gone over there, Ty. All right. We are in uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I, uh, I, I'm uh, in the great uh, position of having uh, had Philip teach on this passage for the past three weeks. Clint. Hey, Clint. Um, and have really no hope of adding anything new to what he has said over the past three weeks, and yet he's still got two more weeks to go. So, uh, glad you came. Uh, welcome to some cake and everything. The, the amazing thing to me about Scripture is that it is inexhaustible. We could spend uh, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on these five verses, verses 42 through 47. In fact, uh, Tammy, you can thank her, um, very forcefully told me not to spend, forcefully uh, told me not to spend just one, uh, all Sunday on just one verse. Verse 42, I could have, we could have spent weeks there, but we would just be doing what Philip's doing on Sunday. So what uh, we are going to do, though, is spend uh, the time that we have on these five verses. Think about it. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added. What do you do with that many people? I mean, the average... Southern Baptist Church. Uh, let's see, half of half of the membership of the Southern Baptist Convention belong to churches that are a thousand plus people. That's half. The other, the rest of us, are uh, part of churches that are around 300, 700, three to seven hundred people. We have about thirty people that. Uh, have, have come out and identified themselves as this part of Sylvania with a college and career, 30. And uh, I will tell you, sometimes Tammy and I feel overwhelmed. What do you, how do you get involved in the lives of people that are just spread out everywhere? Uh, we don't all live in the same area. Some are north, some are south, some are, uh, you know the other two points. So we're everywhere. How do you go, and we're all busy, we all have jobs, how do you shepherd 3,000 people? And, and by all accounts, the 3,000 is not just 
that's all. They usually counted by the heads of houses, right? So when Jesus fed the 5,000, it's probably closer to 10 to 12. 3,000 here. What do you do? How do you do that? And if you, if you take that there were 12 apostles and you divide up by the apostles, you have 250 per apostle. How do you do that? That's a lot. That's a, that's a Baptist church per apostle. How do you shepherd that many people? Um, how did they do it? I, I confess uh, that, that I'm probably going to walk on what Philip has been preaching on Sunday morning. He, he's given five weeks to this, but in the providence of God, we're here too. But I want to discuss a little bit this morning how what they're doing here might apply, should apply with us in our context. And not, not that it's unique to us, because I think it involves church-wide stuff, but um, how would we do it? All right, let's look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, a lot of the smart guys will say that there's really two summaries here. Verse 42 is kind of an ending summary after the day of Pentecost, and then verses 43 through 46 are another summary of how they lived life. Okay, So you have a summary of what's going on and another summary of what's going on. So you have a summary of what they did and then how they lived out their life in 43 through 46. And what we see um, in verse 42... Well, let me just ask you. If it's a summary... What's going on in verse 42? Just, what's going on there? How does it characterize the people that are involved? Very much a sense of community. A sense of community. Do you think they lived all over Jerusalem or they were all in... What do you see? They had to be somewhat close together because they broke bread and prayed together. Okay, they had to be somewhat close together. That's a church. They were intentional. Hey, I heard that recently. <laughs> what makes you say that? So they devoted themselves to they, first three words in the verse. Their mamas devoted themselves to make sure they were at church on Sunday morning. Right? They devoted themselves. Um... It doesn't say the apostles devoted themselves to constantly haranguing people to make sure that they were volunteering for events or things. It doesn't say that. you got a people here who are devoted. They. And I'm sure that includes the apostles in, in this. I mean, they were devoted to it as well. Everybody was all in. They were all zealous for this. That word devoted... In the Greek, it means continue steadfastly, attend continuously, wait on, or I like this one, to show oneself courageous for. I don't know how that necessarily applies to this, but I like it. It's the same word that we see in chapter 1, verse 14, when they devoted themselves to prayer in the upper room. It's the same word. 
Paul uses it in Romans 12, 12 when he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, same word, in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for that in Luke's characterized summary of what's going on? They, is in not the apostles, but the flock. They. And there you have another example of that great Reformation doctrine, priesthood of the believer. They devoted themselves. And that's the key to it. We do what we most love to do at every given moment. What we do reflects what we worship. We do what we most love to do. They devoted, I'm going to say it again and again and again, because in Hebrew when you do it again and again it makes it really emphasized. They devoted themselves. We put a lot of emphasis on other people's efforts to keep us excited about Christianity. And every time I do these complaints, I have to do them in that junior high girl voice. Huh. Uh, I didn't like the sermon. Uh, I didn't like that song and the music this morning. I don't like being an axe. Can't we go back to Leviticus? I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> they devoted themselves. This commentary by Luke on the devotion of the early church is not about the leadership only, although it does include them. It's about the people. What you see is a perseverance in worship. Everything is worship. Not just when we stand up and sing words off a screen. Not just when we attend here. Everything is worship. It's all characterized by their devotion to these four things. I do what I most love to do at every given moment. I either love to play Minecraft all night and sleep in on Sunday because it's the only time I have to rest during the week, or I prepare ahead and make the larger fellowship of the saints a priority because I love the people of God. Pick your poison, it's the same issue. We do what we most love to do, and our actions betray what we prize more than anything else in that moment. I don't think that they were having uh, problems getting volunteers in Jerusalem in the first century. They did what they most loved to do. All right. What are they devoted to? To what were they devoted? What does it say? What does it say? The apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? How could you spend that much time on teaching? Continually devoted. What were they teaching? The cross again? What were they teaching? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. I heard it whispered. He's like, the gospel? The resurrection. The resurrection. Why would they be teaching on the resurrection? Because it's still fresh. And they saw it, right? It's the gospel. Christ died, Christ was raised, and then Christ was really raised, right? The resurrection, what else would they be teaching? Forgiveness of sins. 
Okay, more, more in the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, what the death and burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus meant for his people. What would they be using? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Doing the publishers a favor, linking the two testaments together for later distribution and marketing? No. They are one book. The Old Testament, the New Testament speak of one person, that's Jesus, and the apostles know that. How? Jesus spoke about the Old Testament. He told them. He spoke about it. He had 40 days to speak to him about it, right? After he was resurrected, he told them. And the Holy Spirit brought back to their remembrance the things that he had taught them. They're teaching the resurrection. They're teaching out of the Old Testament. What else are they talking about? And how do we know this? Because it's written down. It's written down. Where? In the New Testament. In the New Testament. That's right. The letters of Paul, the letters of John, including Revelation, the, uh, the, the, the letters of Jude, uh, the letter of Jude, uh, Peter, those are all expressions of, snapshots of, what they were teaching here and what they continue to teach throughout their lives and what the church continues to teach and should. They weren't teaching five principles for a better marriage. They were teaching Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected, and they were devoted to it. Right? What else? What else were they devoted to? Fellowship is the next one. There's a word there we use a lot. It's a Greek word. Do you know what it starts with a K? Koinonia. Sounds like a cool word, doesn't it? Sounds like a chant, really. Koinonia, ha, ha. Koinonia. It's, a, it's a Greek word meaning what? I am. I'm thinking Nemo. It's a Greek word meaning uh, fellowship is, a, is certainly a good rendering of it. Uh, it has to do with sharing something in common, like a business or a marriage, as a koinonia is a, is, a, is a use of that term. Another is a sharing of a sacrifice to uh, a, a deity in the Greek. Uh, Paul uses it when he talks about uh, fellowshipping with God that way, that our bodies are sacrifices, that kind of thing. Um, notice that, um, that there's a, a word in front of fellowship. It's a very important word. Do you see that word repeated a lot through this list? Yes. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the the will be East Texas the prayers. Um, there's a difference when I say to Tammy, "Can you hand me a banana?" and "Can you hand me the banana?" Right? There's it's different. A apple, the apple. It's different. Why would he use the article the in front of the fellowship? It indicates the whole church and there's one of them. Okay, it indicates the whole church and there's one of them. It's specific. It's specific to what? To these people and believers because you can fellowship with non-believers. Okay. We can have fellowship uh and all be in agreement and all be real hyped up about saying, uh, let his blood be upon us and on our children crucify him. That's fellowship of sorts. 
uh, the angry mobs are of one mind. What's distinctive here? How, how do we know that we're not just gathering together to feel good about ourselves, feeling good about ourselves, but that we're really here for Christian koinonia? What's the difference? Where's our focus? What's the focus? What's their focus? Okay. The apostles, the apostles' doctrine. What else? Unity. Unity in what way? How's that expressed? Through the means of grace. Okay, which are? Fellowship. Um, communion. Breaking of bread. Prayers. Prayer. Giving. Breaking bread. Prayers. Teaching. Teaching. Fellowship. Fellowship is described. Is, is sort of. <laughs> there are really two heads here in the sentence. There's the the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship. And the fellowship is described further uh, by the breaking of bread and the prayers, which is also interesting. He's the article there. The breaking of bread and the prayers. Christian fellowship is distinct from um, getting with guys you like in the church and, and just watching movies uh, or, or getting with people that you happen to have common bonds with by age or, or by... Um, careers or whatever and and just kind of hanging out it, it's different what makes it different somebody said the focus is Jesus well what does that look like what does that look like let me ask you this do you think you've ever experienced it hopefully every Sunday morning hopefully was it just Sunday morning that they were doing it No. How do you know that? Devoted. Devoted. And you said daily? Earlier. I'm deaf in one ear, can't hear out the other ear. Speak up. Earlier it said daily. Okay. Six it says day by day attending the temple. Aha. This devotion characterized their lives every day. Yikes. What does that look like in our context? What does that look like as a young adult with a job, living probably 20 to 30 minutes away from everybody else that would be in your local fellowship? What does that look like? Sacrifice of time to interact with people instead of isolating yourself. A sacrifice of time to interact with those in the body of Christ rather than isolating yourself. It's real easy to isolate ourselves, isn't it? It's very easy to be focused on, I really got to get this done for work, or, which is good because God brings us work. Thank Him for it. Uh, I really, I just need some me time. Uh, I, 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 need, uh, I need to spend this time doing this or this time doing that rather than valuing what they're doing. Accountability, uh, confession of sin. Um, what else is going on here? They're, they're saying, and, and again, those are all great things, and yes, that's part of it. But he specifically brings out the breaking of bread as part of fellowship. I have a hard time taking this as a, as a direct like a man. I mean, 
forget the words they use, but there's commands and then there's just what happened. And this is day by day attending the temple together. I mean, we're not going to do that. So I'm thinking, like, what's reasonable? And in my mind, this is a special event. It's Pentecost. It's a breaking out of the church. So this is like a special time in history. And uh, they were all zealous. And I think, I think about, like, kids. Um, when kids are born, parents all of a sudden have excitement about Christmas and stuff. I think it's the same way for new Christians. Like, they come out, they're zealous, and it, like, re-energizes the, I guess, mature, older Christians. And I think that's, that's what we see here is just there's a big boom, like everybody's zealous. And then, but I don't know that this is necessarily, they'll need to be meeting daily in the temple. Okay, and that's why I asked the question in our context, what would it look like? Right. Uh, I agree that we shouldn't be meeting at a temple every day. Uh, the point is conceded. But, but what does it mean for us? about sharing you know we broke up into small groups and shared how we're learning the apostles teaching and how it applies to our lives so back to the vulnerability part even if you can't physically meet with people day to day like we have a, a group good or bad example but a text chain and sometimes people will send out links of articles that really prompted them to think more about the Lord or this certain truth or um, the encouragement that he can go back and forth about you know, I, I benefited from this. Based on what the life that you live together, it doesn't necessarily have to be face to face in our context, and many times is not. But keeping uh, the focus on Christ in our interactions—how awkward is that? Does that feel awkward? Yes. It can seem awkward. It can seem forced, maybe sometimes. Right. And and what they actually tell you. I can't figure out what's going on and, and we've had this discussion in our marriage for twenty years. I don't know what's going on in her head. Still, still have still don't. <laughs> Guessing a little bit more educated these days, but still don't. Uh, she has to tell me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell her. <clears throat> and the way I tell her often is a big uh, issue too. But anyway, the, the, there are there are uh, things that we actually have to express in order for us to know what's going on in the lives of everybody else. Fellowship. If you want to have fellowship, um, you've you got to start with the premise that koinonia exists between everyone who knows God through Jesus Christ. The benefit that you have in the church is that even though you may not know somebody well, they're in Christ, therefore you have koinonia. 
What do I mean by that? I'm going to know certain people better than I know others. That's just a given. I'm going to enjoy company and interact a little easier with some people over others. That's a given. Personalities are different, whatever. There's a difference. When I go to somebody who's a believer and we're kind of in a place and we're intentional, a one-to-one, -one, for example, and I'm asking, how can I pray for you? Immediately, we're jumping off of how good are the tacos, we're into what's going on in your heart, right? Of course, the tacos may be adding to what's going on in your heart too, depending on how hot they are, if they're torchies. But the point is, I'm jumping into something spiritual by saying, what, what's going on in this ministry that you've got going? How, how has God used you there? If you're involved in uh, boys' home stuff, if you're involved in the food pantry, give me, some, give me some, what happened there? What was last Wednesday like? Immediately I'm jumping into, what has Jesus done in this person and pulling from them we're focusing on what he, who he is and what he's done. What are you reading? How is it impacting you? Now, what does that do? Number one, that focuses the conversation on Jesus, right? And not on the latest movie. It focuses the conversation on, <clears throat> are you doing this? Without being, are you doing this, right? I, I need to be challenged. Am I in the Word? What is God teaching you these days? What is, what is the Holy Spirit drawing? What are you passionate about these days in your spiritual walk? I've got to be in the Word to answer that question. I've got to be praying to answer that question. And this is why I thought this one verse would be good for just this morning. <laughs> I, I, these, are, these are things that, that drive us toward true Christian fellowship. Ask the question. It also breaks down walls, whereas you might not know somebody very well. But right. Breaching that subject and bringing that up and uh, making that common bond of focus really does tear down. Yeah. You, you get to know somebody a little better. You get to know somebody in a different way than you had maybe before. Maybe some assumptions that you had about this person are challenged because of their answer and their response. And the Holy Spirit working in that conversation, bringing the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Christ in your conversation. Um. All right, everyone united to Christ by faith is united with everyone else united with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The presence of the Holy Spirit in each other enables Christians, uh, enables Christian relationships to be edified with something supernatural and dynamic that unbelievers cannot experience Christ often blesses us through the words of other believers in a way that he often does not through the words of other believers. All right. More could be said. The breaking of bread. Uh, here, if we're not intentional, and I'll use Philip's word, if we're not intentional, it's just a club of people who feel good about feeling good about themselves. We don't want that. I don't want that. I, I, could, I could do that with, my, with fishing buddies. The breaking of bread, what, is, what does that mean? What is he talking about here? Certainly somebody said the Lord's Supper, and that's certainly in view here. What else do you think is going on here? They're eating together. They're spending time together. They're eating together. They're spending time together. What is involved in a meal with someone? What are you doing? You prepare the meal. You have 
to go get the food, you have to cook the food. You're spending time, there's lots of opportunities to talk and get to know the other people. We have a rule in our house, no Kindles, books, or cell phones at the table. And the reason is, if you're not distracted, you're forced to look at other people over your chewing and talk to them and find out what's going on in the day. We are an ADD culture. Always. We have to stop, take a breath, and look at the person across the table and actually open our mouths and find out what's going on. They did this through the breaking of bread. Some of the smart guys say that, that the Lord's Supper is certainly in view, but also uh, there may be what they called an agape meal together, the love feast you talk, hear Paul talk about later in Corinthians. Do we do that? I mean, I realize that's not the temple every day, but do we have meals together? All right, the prayers. Some of the smart guys, and I'm just going to, we'll go through this. I, I don't think, it made me think initially, are there, is there a certain liturgy that they're using? Is there a certain kind of rote prayers that they're praying? No. Uh, some of them say that it, was, it, it may indicate that they were going to the temple and they were the typical Jewish time of prayer. But certainly it means, uh, most likely, that it referred to a much broader application of sharing prayer together. Do we do that? Do we pray together? Do we intentionally go to another person's house and say, hey, let's have an hour of prayer together, just, just you and me? You don't have to answer. It's okay. I'm just a rhetorical question. Everybody's, well, there's a really neat spot it's on the floor like, right there. Like, do we even know how to do that? Do we even know how to get together and pray for an hour? For an hour. We do if we listen to the lesson from last time. Um, <laughs> there is a lost art. It's a lost art, I think, in, in prayer. Mm -hmm. um, do we do that? All right. In the next eight minutes, what kind of living did this they devoted themselves produce? What kind of living did this produce? Well, that's an interesting statement. First of all, what do we see? They were all in what? Awe. This is, yeah, awe. awe. What does awe mean? Is this something you say whenever you just think something's really cute? That's two W's. Two W's, okay. Thank you for the spelling correction. This is awesome. Awesome. Why, what kind of awe would, would Luke be talking about here? What kind of awe were they feeling on the day of Pentecost? What did it say? Fear. They were cut to the heart. We crucified the Lord of glory. He is king, and we did it. What must we do not to face the king after we... What must we do to be saved, they said. That awe was not a one-off thing. That awe was continued. And who was feeling it? Who was, who was having that awe? Every soul. I think so too. It's referring to everybody. Because why? What else is going on in that verse, verse 33, 43? Many signs and wonders are being done. Many signs and wonders are being done 
because Peter is just so awesome. What does it say? What's the word used? Through. Through. They're conduits. They're tools in the hand of the master. And it's signs and wonders. It's the same kind of language we saw before that talks about an event that happens that has a deeper meaning and purpose, right? And they, God did it in Christ. He's doing it again through the apostles. Why? Why are the apostles having these miracles? Incidentally, signs and wonders here. This, uh, after chapter 15 in Acts, we don't see that anymore. So that they would believe. So that they would believe. Confirmation so, of the word. Confirmation of the word. So that they may know that he is the Lord. So they may know. Back to Exodus. So they may know that he is the Lord. Very good. You have, again, this sense of awe and reverence falling on the, not just the believing body, but everybody because of what they're seeing through the apostles. Well, there's evidence that they actually eradicated all disease in the land. Can you imagine what that would look like? They eradicated all disease in the land? And the, and doesn't Benny do that at the hospital? Yes. I thought I heard about that. No, they didn't heal everybody. But they were doing things, and we'll see it starting in chapter 3. Uh, they were doing things that demonstrated the glory of God in their midst. And it was for a purpose. All right. What else, what else do you see in verses 44 and 45? I see a great commentary <laughs> for governmental structure here. No? No. <laughs> What's what's going on? They had all things in common. Feel the burn. Is that what's going on? They had Christ in common. They had Christ in common, and Christ in common uh, compelled them to take the property that they owned and continued to own and sell some of it to meet needs of people who didn't own as much. It wasn't a mandated, government-enforced thing. The apostles didn't get together. All right, everybody, throw, throw all your property in here. We're going to share one purse. This is in a Proverbs 1, son, don't, don't do that stuff. Let's all share one purse. The Bible actually speaks against community ownership that way. Uh, it does, however, say that people that have stuff need to be generous with what they have because you, you want to you have the stuff, you don't want the stuff to have you, as the old Baptist saying. This is what's going on. They're selling things that were over and above their needs so that they could meet the needs of others within the community. It wasn't a forced socialism. This actually is the ideal that we see under Levitical law. We see it in Deuteronomy 15.4. There will be no poor among you. Why? God doesn't like property ownership. No, that's not true at all. He wants His people to be generous as He has been generous. It reflects the nature of God. When I freely give stuff to support and help somebody else, that reflects the nature of God. All right. Verses 46 and 47. How often did they do this? It says, day by day. They maintained, this is interesting, they maintained a cultural identity with temple attendance. Also, Philip brought up the point, I think it's a very good point. That's the only place they had the written word at that time. They come there to hear the word preached. Then, 
uh, or taught or read or whatever. The other thing is, that's a great place to witness. They had a very zeal, they had a big zeal to reach their countrymen for Jesus. And so they go where the word, you know what that really means? We just read through Isaiah. You want me to tell you who the suffering servant is? Right? So there's this zeal to be out of the walls of the church. To be among the, the, the people of the community and impact them with the gospel. But they were also intentional with a common meal and the privacy of their homes. The temple was the place for witness. Homes were the place for fellowship. And day by day, they were faithful to this. And day by day, God was faithful in adding to their number who? Those who saved themselves because of their awesomely awesome faith. Those who are being saved. God added that number. All right. What marked this community? What was their demeanor? They had glad and generous hearts. We see that in, um, in, in 40, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Praising God and having favor with all the people. What does that sound like? Favor with God and man? Jesus. Yes, it does, actually. <laughs> the young Christ, when he began, uh, you know, you see him growing up in the Gospels. It says he, he grew in favor with God and man, and we see the image here also with the young church growing in favor with God and those around them. You see the same thing. So that actually is the answer I was calling for. Thank you. This is the ideal uh, that their common life was marked by joy in the faith, praise of God, and sincerity of heart. This is the ideal to which the church, including us, should always strive. Acts shows us that it didn't always stay this way for them. Sincerity gave way to dishonesty. We see this as Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, fellowship gave way to strife in the body. You see this is Paul and Barnabas, which very interesting how that worked out. We'll talk about it when we get there. Um, the, the favor with the people was overshadowed by the, the oppression and the persecution that they had with the officials uh, of the time. It didn't stay this idealistic way. This is called by many the age of innocence in the church. <laughs> it was a, a brief time, a short time, but it gave a glimpse of what is to come. How it could be. For this window uh, of the church's age of innocence is the goal we should always have in mind. It's achievable by that unity of the Holy Spirit in us and devotion to the means of God's grace given to us. Apostolic teaching and Christian fellowship characterized by the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, it's 10. The heart question for us, and we'll just end it here, is where are we in our devotion to these things? Where are we in our devotion to these things? We do what we most love to do. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that your word is inexhaustible and that your target is always the hearts of men. And I thank you for how my heart has been challenged this week by this passage. Renew my zeal. It's easy to get apathetic and discouraged when sincerity is torpedoed, when joy is shattered, when favor with the community is overshadowed with impending things going on. I thank you that the, the early church, the picture we see here, was a group of people that were not sitting around talking about and frustrated over that the country was not living, the leadership of the country was not living up to the ideals upon which the nation was founded. They were joyful because of what Jesus had done in them and was doing through them. God, would you make us joyful? Would you remind us again and again the beauty and, and the transcendency and the, um, the presence of Christ in the church of which we are a part. Would you make us men who devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the saints? We don't want to remain infants. We want to grow in grace. And that requires devotion. And so would you help us prize what you prize, love what you love, and be devoted to the things that you are devoted to. Our context and our time may be different, but the heart call is the same. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And how does that impact how I live? So we pray that you make that a priority for us. In Christ's name, amen.